0: And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced.
1: We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America, we live in Israel, and we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance.
0: Each episode we'll host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but
1: not all. Our goal to create a platform where people share their stories insights and visions no talking points no script no agenda just a deeper nuanced understanding of the world around us
0: join us as we explore think debate and discuss and perhaps most of all listen juanced you know like
1: like nuanced but with a j
0: yeah they get it dude let's just start Greetings out there in podcast land, everybody. This is Benny and Dan coming at you with another live episode of Juanced. Dan, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. How you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Spent the afternoon in uh, a bunch of covoidal situations that I would have rather not been in, like at the dentist with my daughter, which is always fun. Covidial. Covidial, Covoidal. I don't know how to say it. It's, we're, we're living in crazy times. We're coining it. Uh, basically, uh, she had a, a a tooth that had a cavity. She's afraid of the dentist. The year of going back and forth to the dentist, where she basically makes them regret ever going to dental school as she's sitting there in the chair with them in the office, and it's like, they're going for it. and she's As if something someone's, like, murdering her, she can't deal with it. Um, finally, today, we took her to somewhere where they gave her, like, some uh, some drugs that I'd like to get my hands on, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh And she's she's doing much better. So, um, glad to hear. you got a little A little lint here. He's got like a goat beard, yeah, and it it gets stuck.
1: And I was just gray hair. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, gray hair, dude. Sorry, it's just gray hair. I thought you were like, I can deal with gray hairs. I can't deal with lint in my beard. That's that's like crossing a border there. Anyways, um, so yeah,
0: it's been it's been it's been a good week. Um, I I would say that uh, you know the time is moving by pretty quickly. We're at the end of November. Thanksgiving was great, unbelievable.
1: We did have we had a nice Thanksgiving together. We did. We uh, had a full uh, traditional hour for those listeners. Benny and I are old friends. So our, um, our tradition on Thanksgiving is to do it. On, we do it on Shabbat here because we don't get Thanksgiving Day off like, like in America. But we have the full, the full meal, full turkey and you know, cornbread and mashed potatoes and gravy and the whole thing. And, uh, and it's nice. It's, it's really nice. And we've been doing it for a couple of years with an Israeli family that has also adopted Thanksgiving as uh, one of their holidays. And uh, I'm glad we got to have it. Um, this year together,
0: so yeah, Thanksgiving was good. We couldn't we couldn't miss a year of it just due to this pandemic. So uh, won't happen. Yeah, we got together, uh, but it was okay. We we were safe about it, and um, our families kind of see each other anyways throughout this entire exactly. thing. So so we were fine. Um, I don't think we really talk about this that much, but I mean, I, I want to say congratulations to anybody that's listening. That's you know uh, had a hard time this year. Um, it's it's November thirtieth. Uh, we've been through this thing now for. What is that? Well, since March, yeah, like nine months. So, so if you're listening, you you, you survived nine months. Give yourself a pat on the back. It's a big deal. Uh, we're still here, and uh, you, hope- you know,
1: it's not going to end just because the calendar year flips, right? We're going to still be in. No, I, I realize. I'm okay. just saying, like every day, just you know, sure. every day,
0: we're good. <laughs> All right. uh, we got a great one for you guys today, uh, Dan. I'll let you introduce our guest, but uh, I just want to let everybody know that I'm I'm very very happy that we have uh, a, a representative of this organization on the podcast today because i've been hearing a lot about this organization for off and on for the past 20 years uh dan does a lot of work with them and uh without further ado dan
1: uh go ahead well before without further ado and we will introduce our special guest melanie pell here in just a second here of the ajc but before we do we have a couple of announcements
0: we do have a couple of announcements so first off check it out uh is a listener supported podcast we uh, have been growing by leaps and bounds. We have listeners on over six continents.
1: Over six continents?
0: Well, what there's probably mean? some islands and outlying places. But uh, what's, what's
1: over six? Nearly, almost ten years.
0: Yeah, nearly almost ten years. Yeah. So we uh, we over rely on continents. we we rely on listener support from uh, from people just like you. And uh, if if you uh, care to see our podcast grow further, if you want
1: to keep this magic going from week to week,
0: we encourage you to please uh, make a you can make a one time donation on our PayPal account. You can make a contributing ongoing contribution to our Patreon account
1: for for which we do promise Juanced swag in the near future.
0: And if you're a business or an organization, you'd like the podcast on our platform. Please let us know. Uh, Visit us for more information at www.jewwants.com. Uh, And something new that we're going to be doing right now, uh, announcing for the first time, introducing Juanced Live, live podcast and guest panels, the perfect solution to presenting intriguing Jewish and Israel-related content, custom-crafted to engage your community or organization's members and impart a meaningful and memorable experience. Are you looking to creatively engage your community? Juanced Live is the perfect solution for you. So
1: basically, just like on the show, uh, Benny and I are, uh, we tend to be engaging, inquisitive, witty, maybe, uh, in person also. Um, And we can bring our unique talents uh, for bringing out complexity, nuance, and captivating content from guests. And it doesn't end here at our studio door. So whether you're interested in us hosting a live, dedicated podcast with audience participation, it can be virtual or in person or having us moderate your organization or community's next panel event, we've got you covered. So with our extensive network of connections to a range of fascinating guests on a broad, broad range of topics, uh, let us know. Reach out to us through our website, www.juwants.com, and book us for your next live event. So
0: thank you very much, Dan. And uh, without further ado, Dan? Take it so,
1: yeah, I'm really happy to introduce an old friend, and I'm glad I can say that. Uh, not that you're old, just we've known each other for a few <laughs> years now. Uh, okay.
2: Melanie. Melanie Mar- I earned it. I earned
1: my age. <laughs> I'm the one with the gray hairs in my beard, apparently. <laughs> so uh, happy to introduce our guest, Melanie Marin-Pell, who is the managing director of the AJC, the American Jewish Committee's 24 regional U.S. offices. You'll tell us what that all means in a second. Melanie and the AJC have been doing fantastic work uh, for a long time in the Jewish world, in the advocacy world, in the Israel sphere. And uh, we've been wanting to have you on the show uh, since we started this, and this is a perfect opportunity to do it. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted. I'm so glad we made this work. It's good to see you guys.
1: Likewise. likewise. And normally, we'd be seeing each other, uh, you know, meeting groups in hotels and, and running around in Israel Ugh. conferences. Can't hopefully wait. Hopefully soon, hopefully soon enough.
2: Hopefully soon.
1: Where are you coming at us uh, from?
2: I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, nice. Which is my hometown, born and raised. Um, born and raised, I moved away. I lived away for a number of years, but uh, returned in 2013.
1: 2013. Something. Okay. In honor of Kentucky, we will raise a glass of bourbon for you. Hi. <laughs> and uh,
2: okay.
1: for, anywhere, for anyone that it's five o'clock somewhere, you're welcome to. Uh, <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> how is
0: how is it to move back home after uh, after a lot of years of, uh, away?
2: You know, well, I I did it. Fully voluntarily, so um, it was very much by choice. I grew up here, born and raised here, and my, my Kentucky origin story, I like to joke that I'm first generation Kentucky, because I am. My parents are New Yorkers, and they moved here in 1971. My dad uh, got a teaching position at the University of Louisville, so my brother and I were both born here, but to New Yorker parents, so even though I can do the accent, if you want to hear it, I can totally do it. But our joke was that we did not speak Kentucky in the home. <laughs> uh, is it, is my syrup parents syrup New or Yorkers. syrup?
0: Syrup what? Or maple syrup? syrup.
2: So syrup. maple syrup. I say syrup. But again, like, you know, I, I, I remember growing up, my parents saying, you know, it's dog and coffee. And they like, yeah. Oh, coffee, Florida. Come on. Um, so I grew up here. I went, uh, I moved uh, to Chicago for law school. Went to law school in Chicago, started working for AJC. I'm uh, 2021 will mark my 20th year with AJC, which is kind of amazing. So I started right out of law school. And then uh, I lived in Chicago for a number of years with AJC. Then I moved to D.C. I was in D.C. for a number of years. And then in 2013, my husband, who I met living in D.C., was um, he was hitting 20 years with the Anne Arundel County Fire Department where he could retire Mm-hmm. And that was a moment for us, and we thought, "Gosh, you know, if we want to raise a family, where would we do that?" And I Whoa. always thought,
0: "Take a step back." Your husband's a firefighter.
2: Yes, I That's found it. I married a Jewish That's fireman. Awesome! Awesome. <laughs> so awesome! It is. He's retired now, but yes, it is. It's great. Is he the Pellet? Um, he's very, very handy. Like we, I, we, used to joke that he should, uh, he should have Ken Pell's School of Practical Judaism, where he taught people how to like fix a leaky sink and change a tire.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> We're starting anyway,
2: <laughs> um in 2013, we you know, we made the decision. my parents are here in Louisville, and one of the things that like, you know, that sort of inspired it was my husband saying to me, the only time I ever see you relaxed is when we go. <laughs> so I you know, I thought, huh, that's interesting. So we moved back here in 2013. Um, our son was born here and it's, it's been, it's been great. Actually. I have to say I've been working from home since before it was cool or before it was the thing everyone had to do. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was sort of pioneering um, what that's like to, to, you know, get yourself, get your act together every day and and be productive and functional from home. But I love it. Uh, and I feel very, very lucky and I can, you know, say a few words, if you'd like, about why I feel so lucky. AJC has been really good to me when it comes to allowing me to make my life where, you know, where, where I needed to be, um, and really have an amazing career.
0: So I think before we go any further, um, maybe, maybe just let's explain to everybody who, who's not aware what is AJC and,
1: uh, yeah, we, we've got the alphabet soup of Jewish organizations, three letter yes. acronym Jewish organizations, um, I think just before we jump in, I just, I, sure. think, I think it's always cool. Um, you know, we've talked about this a few times of trying to find this work-life balance and um, we're kind of in this age where I think COVID is showing people, Hey, you can work from home if it, if it suits you. Um, my boss doesn't let me work from home um, on, on one of my like 20 jobs right now, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm all for it. And I'm all for, you know, how do we find a work-life balance and spend the time with the family we need. And, you know, if it suits you to, you know, Work in the mornings and take the afternoon off and get back to work at night after the kids are asleep. Just kind of how I live uh, my life. I, I'm all for it. But but yes, let's uh, let's get into the AJC. So, what is the AJC, um, and, and then we'll kind of try to map it out on this like you know the list. The
2: alphabet, say Which, by the way, like you know, I will get to AJC in one moment. But you know, I I have I have told. Jewish audiences before it's confusing enough when you're within the Jewish community to try and understand the alphabet. Save imagine, imagine our poor friends outside of the Jewish community who are trying to understand, like, how does you know, how does this all work? Why are there so many? We are um, hyper organized as a community, but it's a strength, I would say. So, AJC is the American Jewish Committee. Um, We advocate for Israel and the Jewish people around the world and in the United States, and we defend human rights for all. That's sort of us in a nutshell. We've been described uh, as the State Department of the Jewish people, which is one way to think about us. So we engage both in the U.S. and abroad through diplomatic advocacy, political advocacy, through extensive media, a really impressive media shop. And through a really remarkable, long-standing network of intergroup and interreligious relationships. Um, And this is work we've been doing since 1906. So we've been in this business for a long time. um, And we are fiercely nonpartisan, um, you know, very centrist, very nuanced, um, probably two too well kept of a secret we try to not be as much of a secret as we you know for many years we would talk about how everything was very diplomatic and our work was quiet much of it still is um but
1: we're, we're not going to tell we everybody. want
2: to make sure people understand <laughs> who we are and what we do <laughs> and so my piece of this is that i oversee our network of 24 u.s offices um that we have around the united states
1: so you started in 1906 this is before there's an israel uh, I
2: didn't start in 1906.
1: I mean, not you. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're old friends. Not yes. You're not. <laughs> um, so the AJC started in 1906, um, not, not to be confused with the other AJC.
2: Correct. Like Which American, came later.
1: With the American Jewish Congress. Congress. Whoa, 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 There's two AJCs. There's two AJC. There's
2: three if you count the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which is the paper of record yeah. in Atlanta,
1: Georgia. Right. The, the mistake I made today when trying to tag the AJC on Twitter was that there's the Atlanta <laughs> Journal Constitution who,
0: who has the yeah. Twitter handle AJC. Is there a team at the AJC who's working on this problem?
2: Uh, our Atlanta office. They deal with it every day. <laughs> and Godspeed to them. They do a great job. Um yeah, so the, the American Jewish committee was founded in 1906, predominantly by uh, by German Jews, and the American Jewish Congress came a little bit later, predominantly by Russian uh, Jews of Russian origin. And there were, you know, there are a number of uh, here's something I will say about the sort of great alphabet soup of Jewish organizations. From my perspective, there, there is enough work to go around. Um, You know, if anti-Semitism were such an easy problem for just one organization to tackle, then, We would have fixed it by now. So, you know, I I am of the belief that the the Jewish community um, benefits from having a multitude of organizations. Um, Not every organization is right for everyone. Uh, The American Jewish Congress, sadly, was really decimated by Bernie Madoff. They they still you know exist in some form or another, but it is um, a a dramatically reduced version of what they once were.
1: Right. You don't hear a lot about them anymore. That's
0: within Alphabet Soup. That's a tricky one, right? I mean. It is Madoff.
1: So, so in 1906, that guy was a Jew. Like, come on, man! It, I know, it, it, I know.
2: And, say, and to AJ's, to to the American Jewish Committee's credit, I must say, um, we we um, uh, apparently I I wasn't part of any of those conversations, but um, we steered clear of Bernie Madoff. We yeah. were, you know, approached, but we we were not impacted. Thank you.
0: Anybody, does anybody stop for a second to think like the guy's last name was Madoff? <laughs> Made off, of. it
2: was, it was like, meant to be. He, had, he had like
1: me. his name was made is- off. <laughs> you got it no, but- surely but- someone has
2: thought of that. I don't know.
1: But- Stick to podcasts, not comedy.
2: Interesting. Come <laughs> <laughs> what other what other secrets can we reveal? Yeah, on- I'm a dad. On that was a dad joke. It's
1: true. That was a dad joke. So, oh wait, so, so <laughs> it's 1906 and the early years, what is the agency working on? And then, kind of, what are you guys working on today?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, and I, I, um, our archives you can find online ajcarchives.org, and they're fascinating because you can go through and read early minutes of those first meetings, which are fascinating. And in fact, as director of regional offices, to me, what is also incredibly interesting is that when the regional office system started in the '40s, that was when the founders, um, and I'll get to the founders in a moment. But when they recognized that they needed sort of eyes and ears and voices and advocates and constituents on the ground around the country, the conversations they were having then are very similar to some of the conversations we're having now, you know, like, we need, you know, we need people from different, we need to be represented around the country, we need younger people, you know, we, you know, all the same kinds of conversations that we still have today. Um, so in 1906, it was a group of it was it was really a committee. It was a small group of it was all men at the time, and they were business leaders, and you know, largely not all New York, but you know, it was sort of East Coast centric. Um, and they were concerned about pogroms against Jews in Tsarist Russia, and, and 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 were reaching out to the U.S. government and saying, you know, how can we use our influence and be influential and try and Um, assist our brethren in another part of the world. And so it was really that that, um, impulse and desire to help Jewish communities around the world that was the impetus for the founding of AJC, and that still very much animates so much of what we do today. But in addition, very early on, uh, the founders recognized that if we weren't also speaking out for other communities that were facing their own challenges, other minority communities— that we weren't going to be able to protect ourselves. And, you know, history has proven time and again that, you know, while bigotry and prejudice may not always start with the Jews, eventually it will come to us. Um, Very often it does start with us, but uh, you know, if it doesn't start with us, it will get to us eventually. And so it's both self-interest, but also because our values, uh, you know, demand.
0: Was that that revolutionary for its time? The, the, the idea of, you know, let's create awareness of other people's similar problems or ally ourselves with other marginalized communities in order to create, a, you know, it, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, a Jewish problem. It's a problem of prejudice the against, humanity problem. Yeah. you know, minority. Yeah. You know, it's American an interesting society. question.
2: It's, it's a really good question too. I, you know, I'm trying to think, are there examples of organizations that were similarly oriented, you know, in 1906 or prior, Um, perhaps there were, I don't know that there were any that, you know, B'nai B'rith was around, but I don't know that B'nai B'rith was engaged in quite as much of the intergroup work. So for example, the first amicus brief, friend of the court brief that AJC filed was, um, I believe it was 1914. It was on behalf of Catholic parents who wanted the right to send their kids to Catholic parochial schools. And, you know, it was a recognition again, that if Jews want to educate their kids in Jewish schools, like, you know, we, we, this is, there, there's a parallel here. Sure. Um, AJC also throughout our history, we have these, you know, our, our fingerprints and our um, involvement with so many of the sort of pivotal civil rights moments. So for example, AJC funded the, uh, the study, the research study by Kenneth Clark, that was the underpinning of the Brown versus Board of Education decision. And the, the study, what he showed is that separate but equal is not in fact equal. And so that was the, the research was the basis for the desegregation of schools. Um, So AJC and AJC funded that. AJC also helped found early on, you know, back in the, I think it was the 20s, the 1920s, the NAACP. Um, And there were, you know, some AJC leaders involved in that. So we, you know, we have recognized that we are responsible for one another's well-being and safety. And then also, you know, certainly, again, like we as a community can't thrive if other minority communities are being persecuted or suffering, yeah. and, and so it was I'm, both. It was both um, looking abroad and making sure Jewish communities here and abroad were protected, but then also looking at the the values that um, again motivate and animate the Jewish people, and making sure that everyone was protected and that human rights for all were were protected.
1: And I think your your question is even more interesting to think that back then uh american jews even though german american jews were were already assimilated pretty much by that point um jews were not as integrated into the fabric of american society as they are you know from the 50s and 60s onwards so to right it's not the post it's not it's not post-war right so to think that 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 american jews already then even if it's the the german ones who had already been in the united states for a few decades uh, and had already pretty much established themselves and were no longer the immigrant class that they had this kind of thinking, um, you know, and I would be curious to, to know if other kinds of groups, immigrant groups were, were doing this at the time. And it's a really interesting question. Um, but yeah, I guess that takes a lot of foresight to, to kind of at that time to, to come out with this vision and this kind of uh plan of civic action, I guess you you could call it uh, that AGC was doing already then. Um, I know and if we jump to <laughs> the kind of, 30s and 40s, and you know, into the early um, the uh, early years before the state of Israel, and then after the AJC at the time, if I'm not mistaken, was not a Zionist organization.
2: Correct? That's correct. Early um, in in our early days, uh, we were not there. You know, and again, it was a lot of that um, the the largely assimilated leadership, uh, and, and and there was a, a range of of agreement, disagreement on this. I think it was really World War II that, you know, everyone realized, like, we really need the state of Israel. Um, But it is part of our history. It is part of our history that, you know, we, we have to acknowledge. Um, I think we've, Come um, Quite a long way <laughs> since then, in terms of uh, being Absolutely. an incredibly strong supporter of the state of Israel, and it, it is central to our work now. But no, in the early days, AJC was not a Zionist organization. But
0: what was the thing? was it? But so, was it an anti-Zionist organization?
2: I don't know if i would frame it that way not, i think
0: it's just zionism of course yeah. the way that we think of it today with with people uh, that are in, fighting in against the thir- Israel.
1: in the 30s and 40s if i'm not mistaken the the non zionists i don't know if they're zionists the non zionists which were you know the reform jews at the time uh the assimilation the kind of more assimilationist stream um you know they just they're like no we're american we're assimilating into america and and it had ideologically we see that it didn't last because everyone kind of came back to zionism but gave up that idea of that our promised land, our ideal state is going to be somewhere else. It's going to be in what was then known as Palestine. It's going to be in historic Israel. Um, We're Americans, you know, we're not that, that's not for us. Right. And And if if you
0: go into Europe, you're talking about people like people that were uh, in the Bund or or people that were,
1: well, that was a different stream altogether, but right. of course. And then you have the famous Blaustein Ben Gurion uh, agreements, right. Um, uh, I forget exactly what year that was, but uh, 40, 49, 50, that said, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to recruit for Aliyah in the United States and American Jew said, we're not going to tell Israel what to do, basically. Um, yeah. Kind of like a, yeah. a pact of, uh, you know, mutual respect and, uh, you know, demarcation. lines. by the way, I see, I see Arya Sullivan is joining us, um, our mutual friend. So we're going to raise a uh, lachaim to him.
2: Lachaim, <laughs> Arya. Miss it? him too.
1: <laughs> so that's so, really interesting. So uh, when does the AJC kind of make this shift? and then start becoming um, what is known today as a pro-Israel advocacy. You know, it's not all you do, but, but, you know, among the things that you're doing.
2: Yeah. I, th- I think of, you know, obviously the show off world war II, seeing what happened, there was a recognition that um, this was, you know, critically important for the future of the Jewish people and that it was, uh, you know, more than just aspirational. It was something that was absolutely essential and necessary. And then, You know, I think there was um, a real shift in terms of feeling this great pride in the achievements of tiny and mighty Israel and recognizing that, um, you know, Israel was an incredible success story and a miraculous story for the Jewish people. And that, you know, again, certainly continues to animate so much of our work. Like, you know, I would say so much of our work now, our diplomatic work is spent we, we spend a lot of time and energy these days still combating anti-Semitism, which is, you know, again, as I said, sadly.
1: There's enough work for everybody. <laughs> yes. It,
2: you know, it, it, it is a shape-shifter of a problem. So it, it continues to morph and find new ways to uh, It's kind of like water, right? Like we'll mm-hmm. find a way in. Um, so a never ending source of, um, it really of is. Uh, work for work what's
0: that it, it really is a shapeshifter, of a problem yeah I, I actually heard it yeah. re- referred to in that way today i was listening to a podcast with barry weiss and she she like deliberately referred to antisemitism really
2: that. oh interesting yeah. yeah so you know the
1: the other thing that like the, the sacks i, I love us Sachs um yes. has, um has has described it that way numerous times and i've used it in my lectures that it, you know whatever is <clears throat> excuse me whatever is the um, the moral standard of that day, whether it's religion or science, or you know, um, you know, if you're in a communist place or if you're in a capitalist place, then the Jew is always whatever is hated in that place, and it always kind of right.
2: Whatever is bad. Them. Yeah. So yeah.
1: as a so as a centrist organization or a political organization,
0: how does today's polarized?
2: I mean, I mean well, this hey, is a huge hey, question. You know, we'll get to it later, we'll, but, it. We'll, but in we'll, terms we'll, of
0: anti-Semitism, we'll, no, I have to. Yeah. I want to ask just in terms of anti-Semitism. I mean, you're seeing it in America, and in, 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 when we're in Israel here, so we're very much. Uh, I don't know what word to use. We're we don't experience it. We hear of it. We don't experience it in Israel.
2: Yeah, you're a majority. You're in a majority culture. Majority, so so the, uh, the only majority culture for but Jews,
0: but you're finding you're finding yourself now in, in a place and time where it's coming from from every different angle. And yeah. there's a society that, you know, in a society that, that exhibits itself, that exerts itself. It's, a, it's a society that has problems. It's not, uh, yep. it's not in a healthy place. Um, and so, that, that I'm sure makes your work that more urgent and that more challenging.
2: That more challenging. And also that um, it, it is why, and our CEO David Harris has been saying for years, we have to, we have to call it out wherever it's coming from. So whether it's coming from the far right, which is, you know, sort of I hate the thought of traditional anti-Semitism. Like to me, like I don't even like saying it that way. It just sounds so wrong. New anti- age um, anti-Semitism. Just, just, right. Just, you, like just, you get yeah. my point. You know, there's sort of the far right, there's the neo-Nazi, there's sort of classic anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And then up. there's the <laughs> <laughs> the the more, you know, the 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 breed we see that is now emanating from the the far left and from any progressive circles. In, in the Not guise guise of all feminism, right? Yeah, right, where it manifests mostly as anti-Zionism, but, but not always, sometimes it's just outright anti-Semitism. And then there's, um, you know, Islamist, like the, the the sort of stream of Islamist ideology where we see a, another breed of anti-Semitism. And then we see, you know, we used to say, David, our CEO would say, we need a trifocal lens. So we have to see it from the left and from the right and from, um, you know, this sort of, again, narrow, narrow faction, but but significant stream of Islamist ideology. But then last year, we started seeing all of these attacks against the Orthodox community in Brooklyn, for example, where people are being attacked on the street because they, you know, they're very visibly wearing their Judaism very visibly. There's no political ideology there, right? Like that is not far left or far right. Like there's nothing going on there that we can attribute to political ideology. It is apolitical but they're still being attacked because they're different. There's they're, a lot of those you know, coming
1: from the African-American community, right?
2: Some of it, some of it. And, and that has been, you know, there, there's been a lot of sort of unpacking and, and, you know, engagement, first of all, with the, with the black community, with the Hispanic community in um, particularly in Brooklyn. Um, but the, the trifocal lens isn't enough. Like we need a 360 degree lens because yeah. it really can come from so many different sources and the strategies we use to combat it have to be different for each of those sources. They can't, you know, one, there's not one answer to this. There's not one way to combat anti-Semitism. So we're, we actually just, um, we hired a phenomenal director of uh, combating U S anti-Semitism in the U S Holly Huffnagel, who has mm-hmm. been with us now for, um, she's been with AJC for a couple of years in her new role for Maybe a year, but um.
1: Wasn't there wasn't there a little bit of criticism? I said, wasn't there a little bit of criticism that, um, I don't know who it was coming from, but I re- remember reading that she's not Jewish, and so how is she appointed to a Jewish organization's role in combating anti-Semitism? She's not Jewish.
2: She's Not Jewish. Yeah, there was, there was, and You're it was so, she. That? She put that to bed pretty quickly, I would mm-hmm. say, because you know her whole point was like. Racism is not a problem for the black community to solve. Anti-Semitism is not a problem just for the Jewish community to solve. Like we yeah. as non-Jews, she, you know, I'm speaking as her, that <laughs> as non-Jews, um, there's a huge role to play. And she also grew up. She's she's very interesting. She um, she is a, a practicing Christian, um, very devout Christian, but was was appalled to learn of the you know sort of the role that. Christianity played in in anti in um, fomenting anti semitism and you know the Christ killer you know imagery and all that anyway like it inspired her to get into this work she's amazing so
0: it, it's it's I have to applaud you for taking the decision or for for the AGC taking the decision to hire a non Jew uh, I think that many people could look at that and say okay that's a weird decision or a controversial decision and I, and I think that. Just like you said, I mean, in in a, in a time when, and, and this is going back to what I what I just previously previously said about how anti semitism exerting itself in different sectors of society typically represents a society that has some sort of a problem that's in a decline or that's in a, in a de, you know decaying position. Um, you know, anti semitism is definitely a problem that affects Jews, and Jews are victims in, uh, of anti semitism, obviously and of course. But I, I would argue that anti semitism is is in a greater sense. A problem of the society of which accepts it absolutely and and, and 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 if you're a christian or a just a secular american you know the anti-semitism is coming from 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 your camps, you know so to speak
2: all is coming from inside the house
0: <laughs> right? right so so I, it's, I think it's a sign of societal, societal rot right it's a sign of your societal rot and yeah. it should be it should behoove you to go out and be the first person to try to or the first Uh, 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 people to try to come and say, no, we have to put a stop to this because we're not these people. This isn't us.
1: So, I mean, that's a really, that's why, you know, I'll join you in applauding that move. And I think, you know, just like how you see uh, on the Black Lives Matter marches, a lot of white people marching with them and saying, you know, we won't stand for this anymore. You don't see that many people standing. uh, Maybe you do, but not as many with the Jewish community when there is anti-Semitism saying we're not going to accept this. And and here you have an example of someone who did that in a a very visible, very
2: public way. You know, I would say, um, and, and the, the larger community, I think, stands with the Jewish community uh, when terrible things happen. So after the Tree of Life shooting, um, AJC very quickly mobilized Show Up for Shabbat, where we called on Jews and non-Jews alike to, to go to synagogue, because, you know, people were afraid to go. And so we called on people to show up, and it became really a global phenomenon. It was really extraordinary. And the, the um, the outpouring of support and love was, was amazing. So when these very overt, obvious acts of anti-Semitism occur, then yes, the community is always, you know we're grateful for um, the outpouring and the support we see. I would say the, the kind of, um, the more subtle, the more, <laughs> the shape-shifting side of anti-Semitism is less understood. Um, people get it if there's a swastika painted on the side of a synagogue. They understand that that is anti-Semitic and they know it's bad. Um, They don't understand why, why, you know, the sort of charges of dual loyalty or questions about, you know, sort of George Soros type conspiracy theories and the globalist conspiracy theories. They don't really, their antenna are not finely tuned to that kind of anti-Semitism. And we're trying to make sure more people understand that so yeah. that they can a, be more
1: aware of it. It's a tough one. I've had very close friends. I mean, very close friends, not Jewish, grew up with me, came to synagogue with me as kids, are, are the most loving people of the Jewish community you can imagine. And, you know, they've shared things about Rothschilds or, or, or you know, things like that. And I pointed out to them, a you do you know this is an anti-Semitic um, dog whistle trope, whatever. And like, oh, we really had no idea that, you know, talking about Rothschilds is, is we didn't even know they're Jewish. We didn't know they're anti-Semitic. And, and you know you just kind of point out to them, people are like, "Oh, I really didn't know that like because it's it's one of these things where you have to have historical awareness and you have to have some more cultural awareness than the average person needs to have in today's america um and i've so- I've actually heard lots of Jewish conservatives talk about the globalists,
0: not even Soros you mean soros Sor- but like use the word the globalist conspiracy,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. that's a global like so I mean does that, that kind of begs the question is is there a point if society doesn't insert anti-semitism into one of these things you know if my friend shares something about Rothschild and I point out and he says oh, I didn't even know they were Jewish is that anti-semitic do we need to then be like oh maybe we're being too sensitive about this you know we're connected. so
2: that's also a really good question Dan I would say I don't, I don't think your friend is being an anti-Semite if he no, or she has all. no intent, right? Like there's no intent. Um, but what we also know is there's a huge amount of ignorance out yeah. there and that ignorance is also not a friend to the Jewish people, right? Like where there is ignorance, there can be conspiracies and where there are conspiracies, there are inevitably anti-Jewish conspiracies. <laughs> like it's just sort of part of the territory. Um, we actually produced something called translate hate, which is essentially a glossary of these kinds of terms like globalist or, you know, under, you know, really dual loyalty, helping people understand the origin of those terms and the anti-Semitic connotations with them and why, you know, why we bristle a little when we hear them. And the idea is that we want people to be just a little bit high, more highly sensitized, not to be overly sensitive to it. And I think that, you know, like that's a point there are, there are times when it feels like, you know, are we, are we
1: We're like, looking for what to get mad about? You know, are there yeah, other yeah. Are communities of dual
0: any like dual loyalty that people look at other communities, not Jews and say Muslims, man,
1: all the time. Loyal. Yeah, You're I think Muslims. Muslims. Absolutely. Yeah, before, sure. before
0: 9-11, was that a thing that people said about Muslims or was it like, if, was that a term that was thrown out solely about Jews in the American context? I don't know like when people say to Mexican Americans like you're dually loyal to Mexico and the United States. Well,
2: if you remember some of the big immigration protests, I guess they were post 9/11. I'm trying to think if you're pre-post 9/11, but but you know, I remember living in Chicago being at, you know, some of the the big pro immigration protests around the time when Obama was all the c say planet, you know, like all of those protests and people getting you know, outrage that people were waving Mexican flags. I remember you know, that. You're, that. Right,
0: you're right. You're right. I remember that. That if there's, so okay. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: I think we, um, you know, it, it, it is something, especially when you, um, I, I, there's so much, <laughs> we're, we're a fascinating people, aren't we? Like there's so much that I think people don't know about like the idea of peoplehood. The, the idea that we are a people, that it's not just about religion, that it's not just about, you know, the the inobservance or practice of a religion, that this is, this is a something big challenge
1: within the Jewish people trying it's to get other Jewish challenge. people to understand this. Um, yeah. So you, you deal with anti-Semitism. You, so you you personally are the director of the regional offices. Can you just give us a breakdown of what this looks like? What what does this mean that the agency has regional offices? And then I know you also sure. have global offices. So. What yep. did kind of the AJC national and global footprint look like?
2: Yeah. So our whole architecture, we have, we're headquartered in New York. That's our, our main headquarters. Um, by the way, when I moved to Kentucky, the joke was like, none of my New York colleagues remembered where I lived. It was like, how's Memphis or how's Lexington? Like they didn't know. They just could, like, couldn't remember. So the joke was that they knew I lived in not New York, but that was it. Really
1: lie um, over country.
2: Benny's, yeah, Benny's from right. Indiana
1: so- and, and I'm from Indiana and you know we're very used to not being from New York right, right. <laughs> I'm
0: I, like, I feel you know, like, I, feel have, like I, have, I'm... I have New York parents you know and, and it was, right exactly we were different I, from think... the other Jewish community in the Minneapolis growing up because we had like we weren't 100 percent from there
2: you were from there right <laughs> you're othered I get it um Anyway, so we have uh, headquarters in New York. We have a large presence in Washington, D.C. A lot of our political outreach, a lot of our diplomatic work is done there. But then we have offices in 24 U.S. cities. Um, We also have 12 overseas offices. And we announced earlier this year that we'll be opening AJC um, UAE, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, not I think Abu Dhabi perhaps, but um, really exciting. Um, and then we also have partnership agreements with 37 international commun- Jewish communities around the world. So whether it's the Jewish community of Morocco or Turkey or, you know, Bahrain or, you know, or, or wherever, wherever there are Jewish communities, AJC has um, these partnership agreements. And the idea is that we can help um, amplify their voice and amplify their advocacy voice, both to their governments, to other governments um, we can serve as a resource to their community. The one thing that I would say that we are very careful about is we never presume to know about like what is best for those different Jewish communities. So if we, you know, we wouldn't act or do something without first consulting with the Jewish community of that country. Um, and I think that has been a really important aspect of our relationships with all these uh, different different. Jewish communities. So for the regional offices,
1: let me, let me jump in here for a second real quick. So what, what don't you do? You know, you talk about dealing with different Jewish communities, just, I mean, no,
2: we're not funding them. We're not like, you know, there are social service organizations that are doing critical, important work to help ensure, you know, sort of food, shelter, healthcare, things like that. Um, You know, for Holocaust survivors, for other Jewish communities, but that—that that is really not what we do. We're more of an advocacy organization, so we do advocacy diplomacy. We will engage on their behalf if and when they need us to. We will not engage on their behalf if they ask us not to. Okay.
1: Um, so, so, where do you partner with other Jewish organizations, uh, Jewish agency, the uh, Joint, you know, local federations and local communities? Like, how does that interaction work?
2: Yeah, you know, we're part of the Conference of Presidents of uh, major Jewish organizations. Um, we do actually, we do some interesting work with Israel Aid. And um, we, we do a lot of um,
1: philanthropic and
2: humanitarian aid through Israel Aid. So AJC is not directly giving to, you know, actually, I did just, I think, t- earlier today, we announced we were through Israel Aid making a donation to help um, hurricane victims in Honduras. So it's not just Jewish communities that we help. Wherever Israel aid is going, if there's a natural disaster or a crisis, um, AJC, you know, very often is willing to help Indonesia or Egypt or you know Turkey, wherever. Um, if that not Turkey, if they will accept help from Israel, aid, but <laughs> once upon a time when they would. Um, what was your What was the other part of your question?
1: No, I'm just Stop trying to understand everywhere. the dynamics. So, so I mean, let's. Oh,
2: where else we partner oh, at the local level? I would say, you know, our, our regional offices. And again, it, you know, it depends on the size of the community. When you're in St. Louis, when you're in Louisville, like I am, like you're, you you can not not work with the Federation and the Jewish Community Relations Council. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there will be collaborative programs with, you know, other Jewish organizations too, um, but we're independent of all of them. We're not, we're not, you know, beholden to anyone. Um, we're not funded In large measure by anyone other than our donors, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't receive any government money, any, you know, some, we do get some small federation grants in different communities Mm -hmm. that help fund local, some of the local initiatives and 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 endeavors, but. And where
1: there's some, let's, let's call it overlap in terms of. uh, Areas of responsibility. Sure. Areas of responsibility. Or ADL also does anti-Semitism, right? APAC also does does Israel Advocacy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know what? I think like I think we've we've kind of all figured out that that again there is space in this for all of us. There, um, we have plenty of people within the AJC universe who are also supporters of APAC, who also give to a federation, who you know may support ADL, may support other organizations. Um, I, you know, I, I I think we see what we do. People are attracted to AJC for a couple of things. One, um, the level of diplomatic work we do makes us stand out. Most Jewish organizations are not engaged in diplomacy the way we are. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, that's one. And our our nonpartisanship. you know, our centrism at a time, and you asked this earlier, it's so hard. It is so hard, not going to lie. Like we are in... <laughs> You you may have been aware of a little thing called a presidential election that we've been you know working our way through
1: wait the pres the president of what (laughs) what are you talking about Uh,
2: it's been quite a time um (laughs) but you know noticed
1: this um I've noticed this and I was telling Benny actually before before we went on the air you know uh you and I met because you were you were bringing I'd love for you to expand on this you were bringing um. Up and comers, American politicians, um, uh, up and coming politicians who, who you recognize as being prominent before they get there and you bring them on, on you know, educational trips to Israel. Um, and, and I've had the, the good fortune to speak to a number of these uh, groups, a number of these politicians. And, and, you know, everyone likes to say they're bipartisan or they're nonpartisan know, everyone likes to say they're centrist um, because, you know, that's kind of human nature is right. Right. I'm the normal one. And anyone oh to no, Dan! Right now,
2: people really want to pick a side. I'm seeing a lot more of that. But go on. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You and,
0: can do. You can do better for yourself if you pick a side now. I guess so. <laughs> and, and, and they just it, like
1: stay on it really hard. And, and and what I noticed after one of these meetings, I think it it wasn't the first meeting I did with you guys. I I won't say names in case they they don't. You could say names, but I won't. Um, uh, of these politicians who are fairly well-known politicians, and and I remember one of them said to me, um, kind of off the record said you know what i as a democrat i wouldn't be able to come to israel with one of the other organizations i won't say who um and, and and it's another organization that also calls itself bipartisan or nonpartisan and you know it kind of struck me and i took this back to the think tank where i work and i kind of shared it with with my colleagues and said so this is a really interesting you know sign of the times and where you know uh, i noticed as as someone who i'll call myself a friend of the ajc but i'm not i'm not you know i don't work for the ajc um that I noticed the sign of the times is you're really walking that fine line. And, and what does that mean today? And how do you do it?
2: Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is for us um, it's authentic. And I think that we can say that credibly Um, whether it is the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, all administrations, prior all administrations that will, will are, are, are yet to come. uh, We will, Criticize policies that we disagree with, and we will praise policies that we agree with. So we are focused on policy, not on partisanship or personality or party. It can be really challenging. Um, I, sure. I recall with the Trump administration on the same day, the same day, we both praised the announcement that the uh, embassy, the the embassy moved to Jerusalem, and we were extremely critical of the policy of separating children from their families at the border. Mm. So on the same day, we can both praise something that we agree with and criticize something that we think is absolutely abhorrently wrong. Yeah. And, no. and we still no. get invited back to these, you know, to, we, we, we still have relationships. The other thing I'll say about it is what we've recognized is um, it might feel good in the moment to yell and scream and be really angry and like, you know, want to be part of the resistance or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like whatever side you're on, you want to be the like, you know, you want to yell. And many of our supporters, many of our leaders have, you know, their own very strongly held political positions. It's not like everyone is completely neutral. Um, But they understand that within the AJC world, in order for us to be effective, in order for us to be able to be influential on the things that we care about, we have to be at the table. And if we're not able to be at the table, then we're just sort of yelling into the wind um, or talking to ourselves. And again, making ourselves maybe feel good about yelling, but like we're not accomplishing anything. So we've worked really hard to sustain and maintain relationships um, in in successive administrations and across party lines. The legislation we support in Congress, um, we we really support things. We we very, very, very rarely will support anything that is not bipartisan. Like we really want to see bipartisan work. Um, We believe we are better when we're getting the best ideas from both parties and when uh, you know, when we're able to sort of live that out,
0: it's hard, though. God, you know, Melanie, that's that's such a hard thing to, to, to have to, like, navigate. Right. Because yeah. we're in a time where everything is partisan. So you mentioned, for example, the Trump administration's decision to move the embassy to Jerusalem, which, which was not an idea that initiated at all with the Trump administration. That, that was, that was codified way, in American law since the mid 90s under Clinton. And it just was you know, it deferred. Goes back, it
1: goes back to Reagan does it go back yeah, but to nobody business. implemented it nobody was never implemented
0: yeah. but, but now okay so let's, let's just say use that as an example you you come out in support and obviously we're supporting of you're know, supportive of that support of uh, we support your support and support us of moving the embassy from tel aviv to to jerusalem and you know, we've said multiple times on this show, you know, it was very disappointing for us living over here to hear the silence of a lot of the, the you know, American Jewish community over that move.
1: Oh, I, I wrote a scathing op-ed, and I rarely do this. You, you know, I'm not a scathing person. I don't scathe often. He scathes in private. <laughs> and I, I wrote an op-ed in Ha'aretz in English. Ah, uh, criticizing the reform movement and and you know this was at the time when i when i put out the book on the reform movement in israel and i'm not anti-reform movement i'm a friend of the reform movement um and i and and i wrote this thing i said you know you're trying to make inroads in israel you're trying to portray yourself as authentically the, the Israeli reform movement is authentically Israeli and not like a foreign transplant and then the something happens in the Israeli context that ninety percent of Israelis are celebrating and you don't first you don't come out and celebrate and you put out this very kind of you know wishy washy statement that you wish it would have dealt with the Palestinian issue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like just because it comes out of the Trump administration, you know, you have to, I think you said it just right. It's a, it's a very hard line to walk of 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 dealing with the policy matter itself and not who issued it.
0: Well, I, I would I would go further and say that it's a it's a decision that if you take nowadays, it it might cost you some friends, even by doing yeah. it yeah universe. for sure and
2: it, like another another example and and let's let's go before Trump um, the Iran deal the JcpoA AJC after you know really serious discussion study meeting with top leaders from Israel from the US government you know really trying to understand the ins and outs of what was being proposed mm-hmm. ultimately came out in opposition to the deal we said you know we think there are too many too many loopholes here too many ways for Iran to nuclearize um, it, it's it, it's not it's not doing enough to to uh, prevent and really cut off the path to nuclear enrichment but rather it's just saying here's a longer on-ramp um, we you know we had other issues with it but at the end of the day after a lot of very serious very 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 heady discussions internally with our top leadership you know again it was it was a not a quick decision
0: is it it a democrat Uh, i'm just curious as you're saying this and and i don't mean to interrupt your train of thought but is it is it a the organizational culture of ajc when you're taking a policy a policy decision of such magnitude is it a a democratic process or a a collaborative process or ultimately is it you know uh, very few people have their agenda or their decision or or whatever it is and then that's the way it'll go
2: yeah, it depends um, on the one. It, we we have an executive council. So ultimately, it's really the executive council, which is comprised of senior management. Um, I'm I'm part of it, as well as our top uh, national leadership. There are times when if something is really consequential, we ask our regional offices to kind of debate it and weigh in. And that is part of the, you know, that becomes part of the discussion. It's not a one vote, you know, one region, one vote kind of thing. but But we take their feedback and we want to we want to be representative of the, you know, the sentiments, but the ultimate decision making is really our executive council, our top national leadership. With <clears throat> the JCPOA decision, I, you know, there are a couple of things. One, at the end of the day, we had people who came out, they didn't agree. They thought we should support it. They wanted us to, you know, support the Obama administration, really, and what the Obama administration was, was trying to do. And while they didn't agree with our decision, they appreciated the seriousness of the process. They appreciated the fact that they were heard. They appreciated the fact that, um, again, it was so incredibly thoughtful. We lost a handful of supporters over that, not that many, but I will also say when the Trump administration pulled out of the JCPOA, we were critical of that too, because we said, you know, we weren't supportive of this deal, but unilateral withdrawal from it is not gonna get us, you know, it's not gonna help us here. Like it's not gonna advance what our ultimate goal is. Um, you know, we're really interested to see, and, and we we're already in conversations, you know, we want to be very much part of the conversations with the incoming Biden administration, um, about what, what any possible reentry might entail or might look like. And, you know, what are the things we would recommend be revisited? Um, you know, we certainly wouldn't want to see the U S jump right back into, mm-hmm. um, a flawed deal.
1: I was, we were just talking about this morning, yeah, actually, uh, Benny was asking me, um, to, to kind of break it down. And that's kind of the position I took is I didn't like the deal when it was signed because it had way too many holes in it. But then once the Trump administration pulled out of it, I had an issue with that, not because they pulled out of it, because they didn't seem to have a strategy of reengaging with Iran to get a tougher deal, which was the whole point of the move. And that's kind of one of these, again, these tough, nuanced um, lines to walk that... Uh, yeah even you know to, to kind of have that kind of position it's very hard to explain especially when you know it's become so politicized when people were just uh okay i'm i'm uh you know i'm a democrat i'm gonna reflexively uh back the deal i'm a republican i'm a reflexive well, well, and, and, and the, that's kind of the thing though right like
0: most people out there are not looking to engage with the actual meat of what are these policy decisions what do they entail or tofu if you're a vegetarian it's impossible <laughs> Impossible burger Dan. Uh, they're not they're not doing they're just okay, what's the party
1: line? What are we what's the progressive line? What's the conservative it, it's line? I think, what's what's I our think, tribal? Yeah. Because we need cognitive jerk. shortcuts to get through life. Like, you know, we've talked about this before. As, as humans, you can't have you can't have a learned opinion on everything. I think we're just too limited in our in our capacity. So you have to look to someone, you know, your rabbi, your political party, your your professor, whatever it is. Um, your your TV talk show host, your podcaster, you know, um, if anyone looks to us for... <laughs> this
2: is why lobbyists exist. But nowadays...
1: It is, it is why lobbyists. And, and we had the lobbyist episode. Sure. And she said the same yeah. thing. Um, and she said, people don't have the time. So they look to someone that they think they can trust. Give me my worldview.
0: Sure. But, but in the past, there was, you know, administrations or, um, you know, academia or whatever it might be, the media... They would encourage, and I remember the term, like the terminology, they would encourage a robust national debate of an issue. Now I don't feel like there is a robust national I, debate. I, do if, you think you're romanticizing? I'm not romanticizing. I actually recall that there would be, you know, you, you would have more than a, you know, we live in a time where you have social media, sound bites. the attention span, it's, it's diminishing. These are empirical facts that, mm-hmm. we can, that we can point to. It's hard to talk about something like the JCPOA in a you know, one or two minute segment, yeah, especially
1: because um, it takes you a full minute just to say, JCPOA. just to say JCPOA. <laughs> uh,
0: it's a hard one. It's a very hard one. And when Israel or the United States withdraws or or lobbies to withdraw from the JCPOA, the nuance of why sometimes gets lost and people might True. look at that and say, well, what's the, what are they, are they, are they advocating for war with Iran?
1: Right. When you this, know, what I was Australia. trying to explain to you this morning is that no, being for against the, being against the deal, it means you're against that deal. Does it mean, and, and I wrote this plenty of times. I'm trying to write it again now because i keep- you're hearing it once again uh and, and I hate to say you're hearing it from the democratic side because you know I'm trying to come at it like i think like a j c like I'm trying to come at it from a centrist perspective of you know looking at the issue and not who's backing what position and saying because you're you know you know for example the the assassination this this uh, last week of the nuclear chief that is attributed to Israel allegedly allegedly, allegedly according to foreign foreign press sources. sources um You know, for for people to say, well, that's going to, you know, if you're in favor of that, that means you're trying to torpedo um, diplomatic progress for the Biden administration, which means you're pro-war. No, that's not what it means at all. Um, And we can do a whole different episode about that. We won't get into that with with the AJC. I think,
2: you know, one of the one of the challenges and you're alluding to it now and, and just to to return to the idea of why we take rising, you know, elected officials and politicians to Israel is because and, and what we've realized is where we need where we need to do more work is is on the Democratic side. We know this. You know, we, we know this. Um, and, it, you know, I, I'm not casting any aspersions when I say that. It's just there um, there, there are impulses and instincts and forces trying to um, on both both the Republican and Democratic sides trying to make Israel a real wedge issue, yeah. which is incredibly dangerous. We know this. You know this. Um we think it's very bad for Israel. We think it is very bad to make Israel some sort of zero sum thing that people are trying to, you know, it's either our, you know, we're either Israel's ours and they're against it or whatever it is. Um, when we bring, we take the, the trips, Dan, that, that you've met with have been mayors. So we've taken mayors and, you know, I can say it since you won't, but Mayor Pete, we brought Pete Buttigieg to Israel about a year before he um, announced his run for president. We knew he was a rising star. We didn't, you know, we didn't know he was going to run for president, but we, <laughs> we knew he had ambition. Um, just, but we've taken. I didn't Eric want to Garcetti. say
1: in case, in case some of them didn't want their trips publicized. Uh, but, but uh, yeah,
2: well, no, he, he he's been public about it. Um, another another who has been very public, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, who's Jewish. Um, Everybody should he's know that Jewish. he's
0: Jewish. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's
2: true. Yeah,
1: he's Jewish he says my,
2: he's a Mexa Jew. The Mexa Mexa Jew. Yeah.
1: He's an actor. He goes to Icar. Um, yeah. a really cool community in, uh, in Los Angeles. Most definitely. I think he just got a government post, a cabinet level post, if I'm not mistaken.
2: He's, his name is, well, unless it happened today. Something I, happened today? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm oh, gonna,
1: really? I'm going to look it up while we're talking because. Oh,
2: amazing. On
1: the drive home, I heard about this. Huh. Anyway, can, can, um, you, yeah, we had Garcetti, I remember, and so, Pete Buttigieg. And there were but we've
2: also there. brought secretary um, U.S. Secretaries of State, we've brought um, state legislators. The, 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 there is a whole, um, it's a, you know, this is a, another one of those terms of art, but the idea of subnational diplomacy. So the, like the mayors, the governors, the state legislators, the secretaries of state, attorneys general, you know, there are all of these categories of leaders who in and of themselves may be important because they as individuals are rising stars, but also as collectives become an incredible, important voice in American politics. So the the other thing that I find incredibly fascinating, like this is what I like. I am so into mayors, <laughs> sort of a joke with an AJC. Like I'm the mayor whisperer. Like I'm really, I <laughs> really are though. The
1: mayor you really
2: are. I'm the mayor whisperer. So we we now have a partnership with the U.S. Conference of Mayors that um, a formal agreement with them that we will do an annual trip to Israel. COVID, you know, ruined. We had it. We had such a good group that was supposed to come this year. Ugh kills me I'm hoping 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 2021 we can assemble the same kind of just amazing group like really 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 cool Uh, Uh, anyway but
0: this might be a good time for me to say we don't know each other I'm I'm the in 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 the regular world I'm the director of sales for Kenneth Tours and we do a lot, a lot, a lot of, of, of political delegations and, and VIP delegation work. And what you're saying right now is just resonating because we're all just like, well, we're out of work, number one. <laughs> and, and number two, it's like, this work isn't being done. It's, it's not know,
2: being done.
0: You can't convey to to the, to, and I'll say this kind of to the appreciation yet detriment of, of of some of my colleagues in the field that are trying their very, very best to do wonderful virtual tours of Israel. Like, it's just not the same. It's not the same. It's, not, it's yeah, not
2: the same. Yeah, it's not the same. It's a nice idea. Just like
0: we're not sitting in the room with you right now, and we would love to be in the room with you doing this podcast. I would
2: be drinking
0: bourbon with you. Right? you uh, there's something that's missing. Uh, do <laughs> the do they, do they um, well hang on, let me let me follow up on the mayors here real quick. Well, I was gonna say the mayors as well. I don't know. Oh, the you go first. I, I was just gonna say, and, and then Dan <laughs> will follow up with this follow-up to my follow-up. Do they uh, do they Appreciate the opportunity to come to Israel, and how unique is that for them to be taken w- by an advocacy organization to a foreign country?
2: So, um, if like focusing just on the mayors, the mayors, they appreciate it immensely, immensely. First of all, one of the things that I, you know, I think it, it's safe to say, if anyone has higher political ambition and they want to have some sort of foreign policy credential. A trip to Israel is extremely important. It's just an important part of one's political understanding, political education. And so an opportunity to do that is really important. The other thing I will say is that the AJC Institute that runs the trips is called Project Interchange. And we have a really great reputation um, among among, all of these different types of groups that we take, whether it's university presidents or politicians or... African-American leaders or, you know, whatever, like we we take many, many groups, uh, because we, they know they're going to get a, as balanced a perspective as could be expected. So it is still, they know who we are. We're not hiding the ball. We're a pro-Israel organization, right? Like we're not, we're not trying to like bait and switch anybody about who we are. Um, But we make it really clear that being pro-Israel doesn't mean we're anti-Palestinian. We want you to meet Palestinians, too. We want you to meet Arab Israelis. We want you to understand the complexity. We're not trying to present Israel as some utopia. We're trying to say this is a really complicated country in a very complicated part of the world. And in order to understand it, you have to go there and you have to experience it and you have to see it. And we have to confuse you. And if we don't confuse you, then we have failed you. Yeah, and so we, you know, what we can guarantee them is they'll eat way too much. They'll like, you know, have really long days. They will time. come home confused, yeah. and they will be completely invigorated by the experience.
0: I have to throw in a little bit of tourism humor here. Um, oftentimes, when we have a very successful group, su- success being like they you know, went out without without a hitch, one of the complaints that we'll get when, when I do a, 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 a debrief with it a, with a tour leader. And they'll, they'll say this like it's a legitimate complaint. There was too much food. I'll say, well, <laughs> what do you mean there was too much food? No, like there was way too much food. It was just Every like, time I I sat down. It was so much food. Yeah. And we used to look at that like, okay, come on. Like if that's all you have to complain about this, there's, there's really no complaint. But we realized that for many people, they're not used to eating like they're, this. Number one, they're not used to eating like this, but they, there's a cultural difference between Israelis and Americans, whereby we look at that as, and I'll say in Hebrew, like Talbuta Shefa. Like there's there's an abundance of bounty, bounty, bounty. and and in you're a guest in our home or you're a guest in our country, we want to you know shower you with these things. And they're looking at it like you're wasteful. You're just, wasteful just to so be much. clear
2: to our non, are you donating
0: to... that food after we you know like
2: totally. just to be totally. clear to our
1: non-Israeli listeners, we don't eat like pigs or whatever the kosher equivalent is of eating like pigs on a regular basis. It's 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 something you see at hotels and at banquets is where you have that.
0: My in-laws on a Friday night. Your in law any, anybody's <laughs>
1: in-laws on a Friday night. Um, but uh, I, you know, the, I gotta say, I gotta say, tr- very, very truthfully, the hotel food in Israel might be the best in the world. It My is, gosh, the breakfast,
2: is, the tell day. people, yeah, like, 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 part of our instructions to our participants is about breakfast. You know, like, don't miss breakfast. You must not miss breakfast. So, like, we what what we've seen through these trips is not only is there this sort of awakening that happens and this, you know, deep understanding and appreciation for Israel's reality, um, for the complexity, for the complexity of the region, for, uh, you know, to deepen their understanding that the Middle East is not the same as the West, right? Like it is not the same. And sort of the way power is viewed and the role of Iran in the region, you know, how that is understood is so important for our Participants. So we bring, by the way, we bring European parliamentarians, we bring people from all over the world. Um, my work has focused in the trips I've been involved with, um, especially the, the most recently are, are with US mayors, because again, not only are they individuals, rising stars, we're looking for these people who are, you know, not at the end of their career, but you know, the earlier stages of it, but also the US Conference of Mayors as an organization is a, it is a body that foreign governments wanna deal with. They wanna deal with the mayors, right? So like an example, when the new president of Mexico was having his inauguration and the relationship with the Trump administration was not great, they were much more interested in making sure they had, you know, someone like an Eric Garcetti from Los Angeles, a major mayor or a delegation of mayors, of prominent US mayors was more important to them as a group than having you know, the second undersecretary of Latin American affairs or whatever it was from the state department. So like the, as a body, these, the, whether it's the governors, the mayors, state legislators, they, they are, they have a political voice and political power. And I, to me, it's fascinating. Like, let's get them engaged in some of the international work, right? Like, why not? They're not focused only on domestic issues. They have a role to play. And as the U.S. over uh, the last number of years was withdrawing from a lot of our sort of international cooperation and uh, multilateral organizations, there were so many governments that were looking for other ways in. You know, the State Department wasn't staffed the way they were used to. They didn't know who to call anymore at the State Department. So, like, if they need another avenue into U.S. politics and the U.S. government, U.S. spheres of influence, the mayors are one body, governors are another body. Like, it, it's just this fascinating. Um, sort of next level of diplomatic engagement that I think is, you know, there, there's, there's something there for us to really tap into.
1: It, it really is. And, and um, you know, again, I saw this, I saw this uh, working on the ground. Um, I, I met with, I met with mayor delegations, met with um, secretaries of state on the state level, which I didn't know existed. Yeah, <laughs> Do
2: you, well do you, everyone knows about them now cuz well, of the, the
1: election election stuff that they're in charge of the election in charge of the election that's, that's really their big thing they're in charge of record keeping and of the elections i did not know that until i met with a delegation of them uh, i met with hispanic leaders um which was a fascinating conversation because they brought a whole new perspective to this issue and i met with a multi faith uh group that had um had a, a decent amount of uh, uh american muslims um involved um coming from the New York area. And that was a whole different, fascinating conversation because it was taking place, you know, the, there were African-Americans, um, there were Hispanic-Americans, there were Muslim-Americans, um, uh, Arab-Americans in this delegation. And we were sitting in downtown Tel Aviv, across from for across from the Kirya. And literally on that same day, you weren't, I don't think this was your trip, Melanie. This was a, a, someone else brought this group. Literally on that same day was... Um, the major riot by the Ethiopian community mm. here in Israel, because uh, um, um, one of their members was shot by a police officer in a in a scuffle. I don't know how else to to call it, and, and that there was a couple days of violent protesting in the streets. And so to speak to this group as this is happening in the country, and try to you know uh, very expectedly, a lot of the discussion was okay, let's talk about African Americans, Black Lives Matter at the same time that we're talking about the experience of the Ethiopian community in Israel while they're protesting, literally downstairs, if you're doing it in in
0: the junction.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I I think it's really visionary of, of your organization. I don't know if it's you personally who came up with this idea or or someone else in the organization, because, um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head and and we're, we're living in, in an era where, where two things are happening. um, And one is that national politics is, is more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Traffic jam. What, what's that word? Frozen. Stagnant. you. Gridlock. Anywhere you were going. Yeah. Nothing's anywhere. happening.
2: Nothing's Not enough is happening. More
1: gridlock than ever. It's more partisan than ever. Congress can't think, seem to get things done and, and it's the mayors um, who, who don't have the luxury. And I think they've said this to me and you've said this to them. And, and you know Pete said this on his um you know presidential campaign. They don't have the luxury of being stuck in partisan gridlock. They have to get things done exactly. and when you're talking about someone like Garcetti and the guy you know I had a great meeting with him when you brought him over and, and the entire delegation they are he's a brilliant guy, but he's in charge of a city of what five ten million people that has the Second largest port in America, if I'm not mistaken, or the largest port in America? Long Beach. Yeah. A
2: larger economy than like most, you know, many countries. A like larger
1: economy than most countries. So when you're talking about a mayor, um, you're talking about someone that can get things done. And I think that that's a brilliant move to go to the mayors, to go to governors, to go to the state level. Um, you know, the United States, maybe some countries are more centralized in this matter, but the United States, a lot of authority rests on the state level. They really get to do a lot of what they want to do. You know, you are talking about investment, you're talking about development, you're talking about trade relations, and
0: and, and the individual citizens' day to day life is mostly affected by the absolutely by the state absolutely. or local government.
1: So, on, on that sense, I mean, I think that's a smart move. If you want to really then influence people and and what they think about Israel and what they think about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, these kind of matters then going to a mayor who directly influences whether it's a 100,000 people or a million people um that's a really effective way secondly i might add that in an era where less and less you know people might feel more detached from the national government nobody you know how many people know who the number 2 person at the state department is um right. you know how many people know who the undersecretary for whatever is but you know who your mayor is I'm yeah. on the news every day. Um, the
2: mayor's joke, something like they know everyone knows that the mayor isn't like the football coach or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like exactly.
1: they, they... By the way, <laughs> project didn't change 2.0 football coaches.
2: <laughs> yeah. You, you, you might
1: uh, I'll give you the next idea there, but, but I think that's a really smart way to engage when a lot of things, um, when a lot of things seem backed up and, and I saw it, I mean, I saw it again. I'm, I'm cheerleading from the side here. Got to see it a little bit in action. Got to speak with these groups seems to be working. Um, and yeah. you know, kudos to you guys for, for thinking uh, about one,
2: one other just quick mayor story. You know, we took a mayor um, in 2017. I won't name him just because I don't remember how public he was. Anyway, very progressive mayor. Someone who, and who is um, revered in the community of mayors as being one of, you know, one of the really smart mayors. He's very engaged and active in the U.S. Conference of Mayors, Um, people turned to him. He's thought of as an innovator, you know, like a, not of a large community, but of someone who has prominence within the universe of mayors. And when we took him, I knew he was coming, you know, from a, a a very politically left perspective. He challenged us on the trip and I appreciated it. You know, at one point um, he felt like they weren't hearing enough from the left. So we added a speaker. We added in a session. We got a, I can't remember who it was. We brought in a a journalist who you know, really represented the political left. And, and, and not only was he grateful that we were responsive to what he was asking, but he also I think really appreciated the evolution of the trip over the course of the week. And not only have we stayed in touch with him, but he has referenced that trip as being so powerfully important to him so that he knows what to say to the BDS activists in his community. So when they come, you know, encouraging him or asking him to support the, the boycott divestment sanctions movement, he has an answer to them. And he has an answer coming from a place of, you know, coming from the left, coming from someone who identifies fully as, you know, being part of the left, but saying, look, I was there and here's what I saw and heard. And here's why I, I don't think that's the right way to go. You know, it doesn't, you know, I might support the goals of, you know, a better livelihood or, or, or future for the Palestinian people, but EDS isn't going to get us there. You know, anyway, it works. It really does
1: work. And I think that's great because, um, you know, whenever I deal with these kind of things, whenever people ask me, what's the best medicine for, for people who are, you have that kind of uh progressive leanings and their surroundings are telling them to boycott Israel and this, come here, come here and see it for yourself. And, and it's not perfect. And there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of problems that we have as a society that a lot of us Israelis are not happy with and wish, and wish it could change. And a lot of us are working to change, but, but come here and look for yourself, um, see for yourself and you'll see, it's not anything like, like the the BDS crowd that, that a lot of which has never been here and doesn't really know what's going on the ground. Um, you had a, something you wanted to talk about on, well, regarding BDS. Well, I was, I
0: was just going to add like, or not add, I was just going to ask when, when you're talking about 24 regional offices around the United States um, and I'm just going to, Estimate that those regional offices are in cities that are, you know, with larger Jewish populations or with more influential populations. I mean, there's there's a there's a you know, the campus element as well. Does AJC yeah. operate on, on college campuses? Uh, do they fight BDS uh, where it starts, uh, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. So um, we, we do that both through our regional offices, but we also have a national director of campus affairs. We have a small department. It's not a huge department. So You know, some of it is being reactive, but um, through our regional offices, we're building relationships with campus leadership. We also do a project interchange trip for university presidents. And we were supposed to do one this year for um, deans of student life. We've done also trips for university provosts, but we're trying to identify the campuses either where we think there is a great need or um, in communities that are particularly important or university systems that we know you know, where we think it would be really important. Uh, We keep in touch with those university presidents. We have seen in places like the University of Michigan where that relationship and that experience, like there was a very direct, clear line from the president's experience with us in Israel and being able to really shut down some serious anti-Israel activity on the campus. Um, Can you talk about it? We're very mindful of free speech issues. We're not trying to chill criticism of Israel. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, look, what, we
0: have, what is on, the, on that note, what is the AJC's, um, policy towards anti-BDS legislation?
2: Um, so we have supported some anti-BDS legislation, but we, how it's worded matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we have, we have a legal department that is really ex, has some expertise in this and we have, we have worked with some state legislatures to correct language in anti-BDS legislation that we found to be unconstitutional. Like we said, like, but but let's not, let's not pursue something that's going to, you know, be killed, you know, the minute it gets challenged in court, like let's try and do this in a way where it can pass constitutional muster. So
1: we give our listeners who might not be familiar, just a little background on this. Um, I'm familiar with this, but if we want to, if people who might not be in the weeds of, uh, you know, Jewish.
2: Anti-BDS. Mm-hmm. Right. So there have been some state legislatures. Also, some um, governors have done this through executive orders where they have they have passed laws or executive orders that make it um, illegal for it depends on the state, but the state I'm trying to remember the nuances of it. It's like the state entities, the state can't contract with um,
1: they, the state can't contract with someone who supports uh, who
2: supports contract. the BDS movement. It's a it, it's a little Tricky. And it, it, it can, it, it has to be very narrowly crafted. You know, the idea and the, the states by and large where this has passed are states that, you know, they're not like, they're, they're sort of solving a problem that doesn't exist, you yeah, know? Sure. But, um, and, and it's more of a statement. Yeah. Nonetheless, we want to make sure that the statement being made is like, is one that is constitutional. Um, You know, our, we have done so much work um, on campuses. The other thing we're doing that I think is really important is we have a program called Leaders for Tomorrow, where we are training high school students. And again, it's, you know, sort of select high school students. It's not huge. We can't operate on huge economies of scale in AJC. We're not a huge organization, Um, but we have cohorts of about 25 to 30 junior and seniors in high school. Um, Now, I think we're in 12 cities, 12 or 13 different cities where we have, and we're training them both to be advocates, both for Israel, but also to be, to be confident Jewish advocates. Um, so that when they get to their college campuses, they're prepared. They know what to expect. They have the right tools and language and they also have us. So they know, you know, if they're facing a problem on their campus, they have allies. They have someone to call. They know who. You know, they 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 have resources. Sure. So we're we're looking at BDS. We are we are not the leading organization trying to um, advance uh, anti-BDS legislation in every state. Although we've we've helped lead it and champion it in the state of Missouri, our office was very involved in that. Once we get involved, our you know first priority is to make sure the the language of the bill is, be, is is drafted in a way that we can support. Um, and then we want to make sure it gets bipartisan support. You know, again, for us, that's really, really important that we can show sort of a more unified front, um, saying that these these sort of threats and attacks and singling out of Israel um, are unacceptable
0: and have, have,
2: contrary to American interests.
0: Have you engaged with, let's say, BDS supporting congressional representatives? You mentioned Michigan, for example.
2: Um. In limited ways. Yes. Um, Yes. I would say in, in limited ways, not, you know, not always like we may, we may have some connections or relationships or efforts to be influential. We may have some sort of behind the scenes conversations. Um, You know, it's tricky. Again, we, we would rather, I think, spend our time and energy on those in the middle who, whose opinions are not yet fully formed.
0: Yeah and I would um, say the and I definitely recognize that it's not as big of a problem as the as the as the uh, impression seems to make it out to be in terms of their impact if uh, we're talking well, about
1: this. we I mean we we often come back to this and, and especially when we talk to um in Israel you kind of have you know those kind of representatives in congress the 4 or the 5 or whatever representatives have the squad a, the squad they have a really outsized um reputation at least here in Israel and we and I always get this question but what about the squadron? It's four people out of you know, hundreds. Um, but, okay. but you know, I, I will kind of point out, going back to the nuance thing that makes it hard to point out. Yes, they have an undersized role and they are really only a few in Congress. But the challenge that they represent to the Jewish community, the challenge they represent to U.S.-Israel relations is a very deep one that's based on decades of revisionism. And again, we go back to this conversation about um, about um, critical theory and post-colonialism and, and all of these kind of indoctrinations um, within the American academia that have taken decades to f- start reaping their results. I don't want to say success, but success for the people who, who's, who want that. Um, and to overturn it is, is going to take a similarly deep um, education effort to go back and- to... Classic liberalism. And most
2: people don't see it coming, though. Most people are—they don't see it coming. Yeah. They really don't. Yeah. The other thing I would say about you know the squad, to their credit, they're incredibly media savvy. So even though they only represent four votes in Congress, they have huge platforms. I mean, AOC has I many millions of followers. Like you know when she says something, there are a lot of people who hear it. Um, so their um, their their megaphone is outsized, even if their actual you know congressional influence is not. Um, so yeah you know and and again as we said earlier a lot of people don't like don't have the energy or bandwidth or time or brain space to challenge or dig deeper or you know question their sources
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) Um,
2: or learn for themselves
1: i I, want to ask you uh have the capacity i I want to ask you something that i don't know i don't know where ajc stands on this but it's um you know ajc is among the many american jewish kind of centrist organizations that is trying to debate it um, and, and that's the I want to talk about kind of the the what we call the growing rift between most American Jews and official Israel because and, and that's that's a nuance that I just threw in there for the sake of this question because people always say the rift between American Jews and Israel and it's not the case it's a rift between most American Jews and the part of Israel that's been in power for the past you know 20 years but it's not all of Israel um, and, and, and I was fortunate most of Israel, it isn't most of Israel it, it's if you call 60% most, but that means there's still 40% of Israel. That's not right. plurality. Um, but, but, and I was fortunate enough to, to, to be, to speak on this at an AGC, the global forum last year. So it's an issue that, that does concern you. It concerns, I think basically the entire organized Jewish community. Um, how are you viewing, um, this kind of developing relationship, this rift, this, this trend? Um, of where most of American Jewry is going and, and where you see kind of Israel going?
2: Uh, it, it is, it is a challenge for sure. I think that um, it's going to be a generational challenge, right? Like there is a, the, the, there is a greater need in the younger generations for them to see and experience Israel. And again, I would say kind of warts and all the way we try to show people Israel, we want them to understand Israel is not perfect, but I think I think that um, what we often say is Israel has democratically elected leadership, just like the United States. Sometimes you like the elected leadership of another country, sometimes you don't, but that doesn't mean you reject the country wholesale or whole cloth just because you may not like whoever is in power at the moment, even if he or she has been in power <laughs> for a long time.
1: Um, let, let me throw, let me throw we know it. Let me throw um, a proverbial wrench at you. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this in your AJC hat, um, but at least I'll, I'll say it out loud. Um, it, you know, Israel's elected leadership. Refl- yeah, it's Bibi, but it reflects a trend, and it reflects a trend in Israeli society that, due to a combination of continued conflict and demographics, um, and, and you know, we kind of often like to sugarcoat it. Um, Israel has gone right right-wing, right word. over the years. It's shifted. Uh, It's become a little more nationalistic, a little less um, liberal democratic uh, in the way that it used to, a little more populist democratic, a little more. I don't want to overstate that. Um, And that's not something that sits well with most American Jews. Again, it sits well with about the 30% of American Jews, but it doesn't sit well with the 70% of American Jews. And I mean- I'm not sure there's much we can do about that. I I honestly don't see a situation where Ya'ir Lapid or Benny Gantz are getting elected in the next elections. If anything, Naftali Bennett might get elected. I would I would
0: go further to say that I don't think that if Ya'ir Lapid or Benny Gantz were elected that that would, you know, please, why not? The 70% of American Jews because I don't think that Benny Gantz or y- Ya'ir Lapid represent the values of the Meretz party. I think that any no. and Ya'ir Lapid are way more. I think that centrist Israel to a certain extent is not going to be in line with m- some of the values of the progressive Jewish community in the United States. Yeah. I
2: think centrist Israel is still far to the right of.
1: Yes. I agree with
2: many that. in the American Jewish community.
1: Yeah. I think, I think, I think centrist Israel lines up with soft, right. America. I, yeah. I, I would so say.
2: What I would say is like, just, you know, I think that's up to us to try and help American Jews understand Israel's reality. Like, Israel is the, the Israeli electorate didn't get this way, you know, overnight. Like it's a reality that is, you know, born out of where Israel is and the, the situation Israel finds itself in and the reality Israel has to deal with. We don't.
0: And, and, And also where Israelis come from, right?
2: Yes, exactly. Where Israelis come from. We are not sending our kids into the military, right? Like we are not like, we have to understand that that when Israel, like that Israelis are voting to, it it is very much about self-preservation in a way that most Americans can't understand and don't Mm -hmm. understand. So one of the things we do do at AJC, we have a contemporary Jewish life department um, that Dan, you spoke on the panel with Steve Baim. Steve Mm -hmm. retired. Steve's amazing, amazing, sort of legendary within the American Jewish, sort of an American Jewish historian.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: He retired earlier this year. And so there's the woman who is now in, um, as the director of the Contemporary Jewish Life Department, uh, Dr. Laura Shaw-Frank is picking up Steve's mantle of trying to look at Israel diaspora relations and really specifically American diaspora relations with Israel and try and figure out like what is it we need to do to deepen that understanding? Because what you're describing isn't an, it is a reality that we have to confront. We can't ignore it. Yeah. We can't ignore the fact that the two largest Jewish communities in the world seem to be moving a little farther apart. Um, and, and we have to figure out how to create bridges. We have to figure out how to at least deepen the understanding so that there's a sense of, if we, if we as Americans don't like how or why Israelis vote, we need to understand how and why Israelis vote, sure. right? Like we can't just assume that we know better. We're not living there. We're not sending our kids to the army. We're not facing the threats that Israelis face. So um, we, we're very aware of it. And it's something we do talk about. Um, we've, we've, we've actually talked about like, you know, like, do we need a project interchange trip for, you know, for American Jews, but that's not where we're going to spend our money. I, t- I will tell you what we're doing. Laura is going to teach starting in January, a, a, an internal AJC university class on sort of Israel 101 for our leadership, for the people within the AJC universe so that they understand Israel's history. They understand Israel's reality. Um, you know, again, I think we have to do our part to make sure that we are educating our own. Um, so they understand, like, you know, again, it doesn't mean we have to agree on hundred percent, like, but let's at least understand where it's coming from.
1: That's a great point. Um, do you think, do you think there's a different understanding among those American Jews who call themselves Zionists? AJC and a lot of the other organizations, and how Israeli Jews call themselves Zionists, and and what, and if so, what does that mean? Hmm. Um. I don't know. Like, I'm now. I'm
2: thinking. Like, I mean, when I call myself a Zionist, what do I mean? Like, I believe uh, in Israel's uh, right to self-determination.
1: Right. So, I'll give you an example. Benny and I uh, both made Aliyah. Okay. We. I mean, I did. <laughs> where are we? Do you know? Where- <laughs>
2: We're not in I'm, Kansas I'm little,
1: anymore, Benny. No, I'm a little, dip, I'm watched a little, Wizard little
2: different Wizard of Oz story. this weekend, sorry.
1: I'm a little of a different story because I grew up in a in a house with an Israeli mother and a father who had who had made Aliyah, but I grew up mostly in the States. But but you made Aliyah, um, you know, and, and I chose to come back to Israel as an adult. Um and, and most American Jews um don't make aliyah. Uh most American Jews who call themselves Zionists don't make Aliyah. So what yeah. does it mean? What does it mean for an American Jew? to, to say they're a Zionist. And why doesn't that translate? A lot of Israelis ask this question. If you're a Zionist, why aren't you here?
2: You know, aren't you here?
1: You know what, yeah. how, do, how do you have that kind of split that kind of dichotomy of those calling themselves Zionists who, who say, yes, I absolutely support Israel. I'm a Zionist. I love Israel, but I'm going to stay here. Like, how does that work? Dennis. I
2: think there's symbiosis, right? Like I think it is symbiotic because the Israel needs the diaspora and the diaspora needs Israel. You know, I feel like we as a Jewish people need the State of Israel. We need to support it. We need to do what we can to make sure it is thriving. Uh, but Israel without a diaspora would be much more vulnerable in different ways. So I think there's a real symbiosis there. I think you know I, what i what I don't think we can afford to do is have a huge swath of the diaspora being, you know, apathetic about Israel or disengaged on Israel or unaware of Israel. You know, I I, I grew up in a very reform home, not a not a particularly religious home. You know, we we were part of a reform congregation. I had about mitzvah, you know, we did Shabbat some Fridays. You know, it was sort of like we were we were sort of typical American reform, but I also grew up in this very deeply um, committed Jewish, you know, to the Jewish people, to this notion of our Judaism, to this is our heritage. And with that came a, you know, sort of ingrained Zionism that I, I mean, I, I learned from my grandmother, I, you know, like it was just sort of part of my upbringing was to understand that Israel mattered and Israel was important. And that as Jews, like Israel was part of who we were. We did a family trip to Israel when I was, I don't know, 16 with our synagogue, like so many American Jews do. And it was totally transformative for me, you know, really powerful. So, you know, I, I, I think I think we need both. I think we need Israel and I think we need a strong, committed diaspora. When the diaspora becomes apathetic or, um, you know, stops caring, then I think that question really starts to matter even more. Um, But I think if you have a diaspora and you have people who are engaged in sort of fighting for Israel and trying to represent Israel and Israel's interests and trying to help people understand Israel um, around the world, then it's good for Israel.
1: I'm going to ask you another simple question in a second, but, but before I do, we have a few, we have a few people watching the the live stream and if they do want to uh, throw on a question on the chat function on the YouTube, they're welcome to do that. Um, so, so please uh, feel free and <coughs> uh, we'll try to get to that. But so, you know, do you see a difference? You, you talked about, you know, when you grew up, um, that, that kind of being pro-Israel and, and that sense of Jewish peoplehood, um, that was ingrained in how how you grew up, and something that I found that is less and less um, that is less and less common among millennials and younger uh, American Jews today. Even the ones that do very much embrace their Jewish identities is less of a connection to um, to Israel, or at least more of an openness to to very much criticize Israel. Um, to question its importance, uh, I mean, maybe that's because they they were born and grew up in a time when Israel has always been strong militarily compared to its threats. They don't remember the Holocaust. They don't remember '48. They don't remember '67. Um, they might not be completely Jewishly literate as to, to history and et cetera. Um, how do you find? I'll, I'll ask this in two ways. Um, give us your take, kind of, on the generational shifts happening in the American Jewish community. Um, you know, versus millennials and younger, and then Gen X and older, because I think that's where we're starting to really see the split. Um, both from your personal perspective, you travel around to a lot of Jewish communities, you engage with a lot of Jews, you're on campuses, et cetera. And also kind of from the AJC's perspective, if, if you, if you will.
2: Yeah. So I think you, I think you just described it. You know, I think that there is um, the generation that has grown up knowing only an Israel that is an Israel that is perceived as powerful that is economically thriving, um, you know, that is putting so much innovation into the world. Like what, you know, there is this sort of like, like, do they really need us? They're so like they're, they're doing just fine. Um, and I think, again, I think that's why we have to be very intentional about creating a sense of connection and connectivity. I think we as Jewish parents have to, you know, it's gotta start in our homes. We have to start ourselves. From an organizational perspective, again, we have a whole young leadership department that does everything from our campus work, access, which is our young leadership program, sort of post college, mm-hmm. under forty. Forty is such an arbitrary number to decide that people are like younger, but whatever. Um, you know, we're going with it. And then the lift program, which I said, which is our high school program. Um, you know, we're we're trying to we're we're trying to do two things with these. First, we're trying to instill and deepen the sense of Jewish identity among. Um, Young people who who are, you know, who are future leaders. We, you know, again, we're sort of a grass tops organization, even within our own ranks. We're looking at, like, how do we get the, like, the rising stars within the Jewish community yeah. to really connect to Israel? So we want that first and foremost. Do, do you we f- also want people to stay engaged with AJC, by the way, like, throughout Great. their lives yeah like we you know we need it too internally it's not just it's not just for right. Israel but like we have to make sure we have that
1: the development work yeah. do, do you find but but how do you find the let's call it the approach to Jewish identity among younger Jews again let's I don't want to say 40 and 40 let's say 40-ish and younger versus the Jewish identities of Jews 40-ish and older which is more or less Millennials versus yeah. do you see a difference in how they approach Jewish identity and therefore how they approach Israel? I
2: think there is a generation now that is on college campuses now that are, that are confronting some of this, the real BDS, like the really sort of overwhelming shock that they face when they get to campus and see how bad the anti-Israel sort of sentiment can be, not always, but can be. Um, That that is actually it's not, it's not the way we would want people to turn to their Jewishness and understand Israel, but it is driving some young people to want to understand Israel better and want to engage more and say, like, wait a minute, like, like, like I'm completely uncomfortable in these circles and I need to be a better advocate. What do I do? And so they're they're deepening their own education and their sense of connection to Israel almost um, defensively, which again, it's one way to do it. It's not the way we would prefer. We would like people to to you know come to it from a a place of joy (laughs) um you know as part of their their upbringing Uh, Generationally, i'm trying to think so i'm very gen x right like i am i am like right there in gen x yeah um i don't know i mean i remember on my college campus having there would be like random anti-israel protests but they were small and they were sort of over there and no one really you know it wasn't a big deal it wasn't an overwhelming sentiment and i think you know what we see now is that there is sort of the like checklist of
0: Uh, yeah we no but but that's like the joke right like jet like the boomers were on one side like very 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 passionate about the 60s and and and, you know
2: (laughs) we were just sort of slacking right we were like "Eh."
0: millennials over here were like everything's really militant and then the gen x is like Dude, Never. I, just want to pay my Never I got kids I Yeah, it
2: was slackers right like i, I think have I think, you seen I think, the things about like when everything went to zoom you know it's like the gen xers are finally like this is our moment we can just like work yeah. in
1: our sweatpants <laughs> procrastinators of the I world love, unite i love i love working from home um i wish i could <laughs> no my question come full we're circle wondered, we're wearing pants we are wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> we're wearing we're fully closed uh no i actually had to go to my office today that's why um no, my question is broader, though. Forget, forget the anti-Israel movement for a second. Let Let's assume that that's not an issue here at play. Do Do you are you finding I don't know Maybe you're not seeing this, but are you Are you finding that younger uh, adult, younger adult Jews, engage with their Jewish identity and with the role Israel plays in their life different than slightly older uh, Americans? Yes, yes. No I mean,
2: yes. And the, I'll I'll tell you how else we see this we see this through some of our leadership, some of our lay leaders who say like, I can't get my kids who are, you know, 28, 29, like they want nothing to do with any of the Jewish organizations that I'm part of, not just because like, they don't want to do the same thing as their parents, but because they, I can't get them to be interested. I can't get, you know, people who are deeply committed to AJC and to the issues we work on, including Israel. You know, we hear that, that they struggle with getting their kids, their own kids to connect. Um, Again, I think like, I think the farther away, I think you said it, Dan. The farther away that these generations get from crisis um, trauma, the less they they see that. Like the less they they understand that, or have lived through that, or have seen. Like it it, it becomes abstract. It becomes an abstraction. And there is a big world with all kinds of terrible things happening, and all kinds of causes to get behind and very, you know, sort of righteous things to do. Like there are a lot of very righteous, noble causes that people can get involved with yeah. and put their money and resources and time behind. And Israel seems to be doing just fine. You know, like I do think there's an issue yeah. there.
1: I think, I think aloud, um, and maybe either I'm crazy or I'm, I'm just a few years ahead of this, but is it really so bad? I mean, can we, can we, as, as committed Jews, as the ones who care about Israel and their Jewish identities, can we get to that point in our identities now where we say, you know what, Israel is doing fine. Most of the Jews in the world are really doing fine. We can militarily handle really any of the threats that are coming at us. We can financially handle any of the threats that are coming at us. In most of the, most, most, most of the countries where Jews live today, we, we live pretty securely. Um, and, and the ones where Jews are not secure, the rest of the Jews in the world can help them um you know can make, you know we have two thousand years of of trauma baked into our DNA, but maybe these like younger Jews that I'm looking at are kind of like you know what we're past it we're, we're not there we're we're not the traumatized jew we're this kind of new jew and 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 I, I God forbid I don't want any any more traumas to befall the Jewish people so that we have more traumatized jews and and maybe the price to pay for that is that, yes, we're going to lose Jews to assimilation because of it, because it's safe to, you know, engage well, I, with the I, world in a different way. I would,
0: I would say if I'm answering the question, I, I, I would say not only am I okay with that, I think that that's the type of thing that reflects more of the reality of today than, than some of you know, some other narratives might want it to, to be. What do you mean? And what I mean by that is simply, okay, if I take my work, for example – you know, when I'm when I'm commissioned or something like that to write a program for that, that shows Israel to a group of, of Jews from the United States, you know, maybe it's a development group that's coming from a Jewish federation, maybe it's you know a donor group or a chairman's mission or something like this. Um the narrative that maybe is trying to be, and I don't want to be delicate when I answer this, of course, but like sometimes the narrative that wants to be given is that Israel needs your yeah, you know, you know, you needs your support. Um And then people come here and they say, well, I don't understand. You're trying to show me the startup nation. I saw Tel Aviv with massive skyscrapers and, you know, Maseratis and Bentleys in the street. Like, why am I giving you guys money? Um, And, and where's the, and of course that's, that's a very simplistic reading of things and there's many elements of Israeli society that still, you know, very much need support. But uh, you know, we are at a place where we're no longer, you know, uh, we're not uh, miskinim. We're not, we're not looking for. We're not hand-out. downtrodden anymore. We don't need the handout as much as we've become accustomed to yeah. asking for the handout. We don't need it. We're in a, we're in a better place, and I think that as a Zionist who lives in Israel, you know, I don't want to be a part of a you know a country that has a you know a real culture of the you know today a culture of being a schnor, you know, of being yeah you know, with my hand. We are a, a dynamic, vibrant, uh, a successful society. Sure, we have places where we need to improve. But I think that for us, the embodiment of the of of the Zionist ideal at this point is like no, we've succeeded as a Zionist. That's
1: what I'm saying. Uh, Have we done that? And and, and we
0: can invert that and say it's now our role to come in. We see that there's Jewish communities abroad that are that are in need of help. It's our role to give back. I think so. And and show the model of. of,
1: And, And you know, I I don't want the outcome of this thought to be okay. You know what, American Jews and American Jewish philanthropy, you can stop engaging in Israel. Thank you. You know, I, I I don't mean that to be because I so think maybe
2: it's that, just changing the narrative about yeah. what like like the philanthropy doesn't have to be, you know, it, it is not it is no longer, you know, collecting pennies to give to the Zionist project or, you know, or I mean, lovely look, it's lovely to plant the trees, you know, <laughs> like my I have an aunt who has planted probably half a forest, like every <laughs> event in our lives. I get a tree. It's beautiful. Um, you know but but like
0: groups of people that come here and they want to see their trees.
2: They want to see the
0: trees. It's like,
1: where are my trees? I'm like, there's no sign. Do you remember the <laughs> Salah Shabbati movie? Yeah. Right yeah. Planting the That's
2: when you just point it. There it is. It's right there. Um, I think, you know, I, like, I, I think things are going to potentially, we're seeing this sort of rapid escalation of normalization through the Abraham Accords, which is exciting so- and good. And again, back to, like, there are people who are unwilling to praise anything this administration has touched because they don't like this administration. Mm-hmm. But I think we must acknowledge the role of the Trump administration in what is a, a extraordinarily monumental shift for Absolutely. Israel. I mean, and I, Israel and too.
0: I would even go further to say that that's going to be an, uh, uh, something that AJC and other organizations have to and, and will, and I'm excited that they will. Get in and show to American Jews who otherwise might be um, hesitant to get on board and try to support the Abraham Accords because of its connection to the Trump administration. You know, we've talked about this multiple times. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a a colleague on the phone. He's in Michigan, and uh, and I won't say his name, but you know, he's a very committed uh, pro-Israel type of a guy, but he's also very, very, very you know, progressive, and. Yeah, I mentioned some of the, you know, some of the activities that that, uh, you know, the, the, the UAE Israel Business Council was doing and that we had this uh, great uh, Juanced live uh, session where we talked to a panel of, of Emiratis that were excited about the accords. And, you know, I
2: listened uh, to a good part of it. It was great. And, yeah.
0: uh, and he in his in his response was like, I didn't know that that was legit. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, look, I knew that, you know, you signed, you know, Israel signed an accord, uh, you know, the peace agreement, but like, I thought it was like, you know, it was going to be like a cold peace. Like, is that really happening? Like these people are really excited to be. And the point is not that he didn't understand that it was, you know, something that, or he didn't you know, educate himself to know the reality. It was that on the merit of it being a part of the, the current administration's uh, you know, yeah, it was so politicized, so politicized could probably through,
2: couldn't, through the echo chamber wonder. of his news sources. Right. Yeah. He yeah. could not
0: fathom that it would actually be an authentic situation that clearly yeah. if it was Trump, that it was something that was, you know, anytime viewed he viewed with suspicion, news, right? No, yeah. it, was, it was to him. It was actually he used the phrase. He said, I thought that that was fake news. <laughs> like people to people encounters would like that's that must be fake. Like that's just something yeah. to say. I like to tell people so,
1: even a broken clock is accurate twice a day.
2: Like, <laughs> that's right. We have been very, call. we've been applauding um, all of all of these uh, advancements and all of these uh, new accords. We applauded just earlier today on Twitter that Saudi Arabia has granted the airspace so that all the Israeli tourists can go to Dubai and, you know, eat in the kosher restaurants of <laughs> Dubai now, which is great. Um, yeah, no, you know, but my back to the other point, though, I think like this kind of normalization, I think the more normalized Israel gets, um, it will change the dynamic in terms of how diaspora, like, again, there is less need, right? Like there is less need to defend Israel's place in the community of nations. The more Israel becomes a natural part of the community of nations. Exactly. The less right? it's
1: achieved. Yeah, exactly. And the more it can, you know, again, I don't want to minimize The role of American Jewish philanthropy, because at the end of the day, it goes to very good causes here that can't work without American and not just American diaspora Jewish philanthropy. But those things could come from Israel, too. Uh, Israeli philanthropists are not doing enough here. The Israeli government funnels a lot of money to causes that, you know, I won't pick out the causes, but that don't serve the entire public, but only serve parts of the public. And, you know, we've kind of gotten used to this reality where American Jewish philanthropy funds a lot of these things that, uh, you know, I'm glad for them because it helps them have the connection to Israel that they might not otherwise. But have. It's just
0: not a sustainable situation,
1: but it's not sustainable. And, and, you know, I think we here need to step up our game. Um,
2: that would be a really good podcast. I think, it
1: is. <laughs> I think I can,
2: uh,
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of how this uh, turns into another book. <laughs> um, Israel diaspora 3.0. That's uh yeah.
2: No, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. You know, we're not there yet, but like, but it's, I, I, I see this as progress.
1: (laughs) I got to ask you a question. Um, let's take a step aside from all this. Um, so how, what is it like, you know, I spent a little bit of time in the organized Jewish world. I'm kind of on the sidelines of it now because I'm in a think tank that's involved in the organized Jewish world. I go to conferences here and there, um, what is it like to be a woman in a very senior position in, in the organized Jewish world that I don't know if it's true or not, but at least has a reputation for being um, male centric or male dominated.
2: Um, I, I will answer it in two ways. There's the AJC, like the experience I've had within AJC and then the experience of the sort of larger Jewish community um, within AJC. Like AJC has been amazing, really, truly. And I, if you look at our senior leadership, our CEO David Harris, you know, is a man, um, but at least half of the senior management team, if not a slight majority, are women. Interesting. Um, the head of our Israel office is a woman. The you know our our the head of AJC Europe is a woman. Like you know we have we have women in very senior positions throughout the organization. And I was put, I, you know, I was made director of our Washington DC region when I was in my early thirties. I had come from the Chicago office. I was sort of unproven in Washington. I, this organization, and again, just speaking as, you know, someone who works for AJC has taken so many chances on me and has never, ever, ever, I've never felt in any way that I have been stymied or stifled by virtue of gender. Um, You know, I've had experiences where, Early on, apparently, um, I found out about it later, when I was interviewing for my DC position, one comment that was made was, well, what's she gonna do with that hair? (laughs) Like, (laughs) comments about like, oh, like. um, But like, I I have never, I've never experienced, I would say there have been a few times where I felt like um, I was being bullied a little bit, not from within AJC, but by others within the organized Jewish world. Um, but I've always felt supported by AJC, which has been hugely, hugely important. And I know, you know, again, I know AJC has my back. I, I have to say, I feel very lucky. I have not, um, I have not felt that I have been held back. The other thing I, you know, again, this just sort of, I I think I'm, I, I don't know, like I have visible tattoos, you know, I like, I have certain things about me that are like, I'm a little bit like of a non-traditional, like sort of organized Jewish communal professional, whatever that means.
1: You totally are. Um, and when I first met you, I was like, yes, who is this awesome person? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it, I think it helps me. You know, I think like, again, I think it, um, I, I don't know. I think it has only served me well that I, I am not like, whatever. I don't want to, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know what a, a stereotype is or what I it think looks like. To to be be I, oh,
1: I think that's cool. Uh, do, do you see, you don't yeah. have to name names, but. Do you feel there, there are other places in the organized Jewish world that women are limited today in, in 2020?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's still not enough yes, women not CEOs. Is. Like if you look around the, like the organized Jewish world, there, there are a handful, it's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit better. Um, I, you know, and I still like the, the other thing I'll say is if, if it's a panel of, you know, three or more people when we're doing webinars, by and large, AJC tries to make sure that either like one of the panelists is a woman or there's a woman moderator, like, you know, we're I, I think there's a sort of consciousness about wanting to make sure that we're not just seeing like groups of men sitting around talking to other groups of men. Um, and I will tell you, there were times when I was in DC, where there would be groups of men, delegations of men who were from, you know, country, whatever, different countries who would come in and uh, like I would, I would almost insist on being in the room, not because I needed to be in the meeting or even because I had the time, but because I was like, I don't want it to be a room of men. Like I'm going to go in just as a statement to this delegation from another country that like women have a seat at the table here too. So I, you know, I think there, there are, there are subtle ways that I have certainly, I'm very conscious of it. And I've tried to make sure that, um, others consciousness is raised, <laughs> But within AJC, I think it's a like it's an incredibly like evolved organization, right, uh,
0: which is. I'm thinking of something, and I and and I'd be interested to hear your your opinion on it. In a time of uncertainty like we have with COVID, when many Jewish organizations are are downsizing, um, what would you say to the next generation of people that are looking at perhaps going into a career in in, in a Jewish organization?
2: Um. Well, a couple things. One, again, to the immense credit of AJC, we we have withstood this pandemic without. We've frozen open positions, but we haven't had to lay anybody off, which is pretty amazing. We've had no furloughs or layoffs. It's been it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you are looking for it, you've got to find the organizations that are nimble, that are creative, that are innovative, that can pivot quickly, um, that have are forward looking, because those are the organizations that I think are going to sustain and still be around the ones that are not stagnating or stuck or, um, or who have been willing to kind of compromise themselves in any way. I don't know. I feel like there are organizations and I would say AJC is certainly, you know, among them and certainly at the top of the list, top of my list. Um, but that are, that are, um, uh, Going to be around, you know. They're they're figuring it out, and and again, it's about being innovative and being nimble and being, um, being able to anticipate what is coming next. One last quick example. So, in addition to AJC announcing, you know, AJC that will, you know, we're opening an office in the UAE a few years ago, David Harris asked the question, and this is I give him such credit for being, you know, this kind of leader. He said to our intergroup relations interreligious affairs department, "What is the single biggest challenge?" In intergroup relations, and the answer was Muslim-Jewish relations. And so, rather than run away from that, we invested in it. We created a department. We have a director of Muslim-Jewish affairs. We have an assistant director of Muslim-Jewish affairs who is Muslim. Like, you know, we like we we have we have leaned into the things that seem the most daunting and the most challenging because we know that otherwise we you know we risk irrelevancy if we're not willing to take on the issues that are um, the most most pressing. So, you know, I would say, like, look for organizations that are, that are you know, bold and taking, you know, taking risks um, and doing things that, you know, are going to challenge assumptions, because that that's where I think the future is.
1: That's amazing. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'll give you guys Great. credit. Um, I, I think we can both give you credit, because we, we know a decent amount of, of this world from different perspectives. And um, all we, I've, I've at least always been impressed by how you guys do this. And we're kind of in an age where... Um, there are a lot of legacy institutions um, that maybe still have money and, and are trying to figure out what it is they want to do. Um, and, and you guys, you know, everyone kind of has to figure out what they want to do. And you guys seem to be a little bit ahead of the ball of making quick decisions and channeling that. We'll wrap up with um, this. Um, if people want to get involved um, in a lay capacity, in a, in a volunteer capacity, um, with the AJC on a local, on a national level, if they want to fund it, if they just want to donate their time, uh, maybe because they can't donate money, um, or if they want to you know, participate in the, the webinars and conferences and these kind of things you're doing, how can they find you? How can they reach out to you?
2: Thank you. So AJC.org is our website. Uh, our, we have an amazing, amazing, we had a webinar today. We do a ton of free virtual programming called Advocacy Anywhere. We had a program today with three voices from um, Jews who were from Arab countries who were exiled. So we had someone from Iran, someone from Iraq, and someone from Libya. Amazing, gut-wrenching personal stories. The story of these Mizrahi Jews was just unbelievable. Anyway, um, we have a whole lineup for the rest of the week. We have um, tons that you can do if you want to just learn more about us. We have tons of resources on our website. We also have our list of regional offices, so you can either reach out to them, you can reach out to me at pellm at ajc.org, um, but we, we you know, are always looking for support, we're looking for engagement, we're looking for people to come on this journey with us.
0: Awesome. So, Melanie Marin pell we thank you very, very much for joining us today, and we're so glad we got thank to you
2: have you up. on the show. Thank you. It was great.
0: And, uh, and yeah, take, take care of yourself. And, um, yeah, we hope to see you back, uh, in Israel sooner rather than later. I think, I think hopefully by, uh, by the middle of next year. And we wish Me you too.
1: fingers crossed. We wish you and the AJC a lot of luck in, uh, the very important, um, missions that you've taken upon yourself for the Jewish people and for Israel and for America. Really. Um, I say that in a very sincere way. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck in all you're doing.
2: Great. All Thanks right. guys.
0: Take
1: take care.
0: Juonst is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan
1: Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juonst.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juonst.